It's an answer we've all given and received multiple times in our lives. I'm fine. It could be a polite way to respond to a stranger's "How are you?" or it might be your partner, your colleague, or offspring giving you what feels like the cold shoulder. But if we really care about someone, then we care about the real answer, the one that's underneath the surface. Our question this episode: What can we do to get past "I'm fine"? Welcome to episode twenty-nine of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host Beth Bilo. Thank you so much for joining me. We are joined in this episode by Matt Creven, who will share tips for parents in talking to teenagers and the importance of teenagers talking to one another. He'll offer tips, which, by the way, apply to communication in any relationship where there's an imbalance of power or conflicting priorities. As always, keep listening after the conversation when I'll offer a few closing thoughts on how his advice applies in the workplace. I'll also give you your call to action. Matt Creven wants us to know that all his life experiences and wisdom gained have prepared him for such a time as this, to empower and encourage students to communicate face to face more effectively. His goal is to support the growth and development of this key life skill in today's youth. He does this through his organization, Talkshop, which delivers real-world, immediately usable, empowering communication strategies. His approach combines equal doses of common sense, Fortune 500 business knowledge, and most importantly, real-world practical experience. In addition, Matt has spent eight years as a youth sports coach, and also has a hobby, which he puts in quotes, as a long-tenured NFL stadium announcer for the San Francisco Forty Niners. Hi, Matt. Welcome to How Can I Say This? I've I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you, Beth. It's great to be here. Well, let's start out with talking about your project or your, your organization called Talk Shop.、Um, what is the backstory with how that came into being? Well, I hope I have about two hours to give this answer because it's a little in depth.、Uh, joking <laughs> aside, no, Talk Shop、uh, is、uh, the culmination of my personal parenting journey. As well as my professional work experience, and there's a lot to both, but I'll do my best to try to streamline to give your listeners, you know, the best essence. But again, as a single father with two boys,、uh, both with vast, vastly distinctly different communication styles, I was always looking to how to bridge that gap between my own two boys and how I communicate with them and how they communicate back with me.、Mm-hmm. That's on the personal parenting journey side. Yeah. Now, as I mentioned, it's also the culmination of my my professional work experience, and and my first job right out of school, believe it or not, was、uh, something that utilized my communication skill set as a PR public relations intern、uh, within the NFL,、mm. specifically to the San Francisco Forty Niners, and it just put me, really didn't put me, it thrusted me into a position right away to understand the value of how you communicate clearly and confidently with、mm-hmm. high. Caliber NFL stars, like the likes of Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Steve Young, etc., to the media, to the fan base, and everyone in between. So、mm-hmm. it, these are just that was the first you know life lesson, if you will, right out of the shoot, right out of college. So it was pretty heady stuff for a young kid at the time. Yeah. Fast forward, there's been you know the business experience that I've gained really cemented those early lessons. Working with companies like Microsoft and FedEx, and, and it's really I always say this、uh, when I speak. It's not about the companies I've worked for. It's about the lessons I've learned、uh, while I've been there from some pretty smart people. 
So again, being able to communicate my message, my story, whether it's the solution, whatever it might be, it's always been, how do you effectively communicate with people to get the result where both people truly feel like they're on board, where you've got that true alignment, true understanding. Mm-hmm. So again, Talk Shop is kind of the culmination of, of both of these realms, my personal parenting journey, my professional work background, and then it's come to be where uh, I actually had a career coaching business for five or six years as well, working with college students. A big piece of that was how do they put together their career search process? And a big piece of that, of course, was how do you brand yourself? How do you share your story? How do you articulate your message in the best way? Yeah. And then the final piece is really how Talk Shop became to be was uh, doing some volunteer work with my local high school out here where I am in the Seattle area. And that really cemented this home of, of how vital, how pivotal this life skill of having a face-to-face conversation with others. So I know that was a bit long-winded, but hopefully you <laughs> gave your listeners a kind of a good context. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you're making me think about, I just started uh, mentoring a 20-year-old college student. And one of the things that is tripping her up a bit is as she's starting to have interviews for internships, it's that question, tell me about yourself. You know, being able to articulate, like you were saying, what is your brand? What what are you about? What do you have to offer? And she is an extraordinarily confident and intelligent individual, and this causes her to stumble. So it's no small challenge when you're at that age. No, not at all. And I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, that question inevitably comes up, yeah. and it also comes up quick. Yes. And it's going to come up with those that are on the very, very front end of their career. Mm-hmm. And not to speak in cliche, but you really do have to be prepared for when that opportunity presents itself to share your story. And it's okay not to have much of a story, but you got to be prepared to share yeah. why you don't have as much of a story <laughs> and what you're looking to do. Yeah, it's the t- it's like the toughest question, and it's right out the gate. <laughs> so yeah, so. I, uh, I'm nodding in complete agreement with that. Yeah, and I can see that being a, maybe a future conversation. Yep, absolutely. Because I think we all, adults as well as those who are just getting started, you know, people who are further along in their careers and people who are just starting out still get caught up in that question question. So. Right. Uh, I don't want to get too far into the weeds with, with yeah. that question. No, go for it. But it's so easy to <laughs> dovetail, Beth, and I don't want to hijack your interview. This is, But it was something I thought about. Yeah. It's so true. That question, even for adults, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that just don't know how to share or articulate being brief, being clear, being confident with your messaging. Yeah. But it's also people are very, very in tune with how to do that in the digital world. How do you brand yourself on a piece of paper or on your social media profile? People are pretty well versed at that. But at the end of the day, when that time comes where you need to present yourself in front of others, yeah, need to brush that up a little bit. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on like, if somebody comes to you with that question, like, what's the first thing that you would advise that they do to start them on that path to being clear and concise and prepared? In terms of that always omnipresent question of tell me about yourself question, or just how do they start with, yes. with kind of crafting their own message? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I I see them as kind of two sides of the same coin. You know, what you're sharing about yourself is communicating something about your brand. So so if somebody said, I'm really stuck with how to answer this question, tell me about yourself. Where would you suggest that they start on that? Like, what's the first thing that would be useful to do? Yep. Uh, No, okay. Thank you for rephrasing. I just want to make sure I got the question right, because that's number one, is make sure you're listening. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Make sure you're listening actively. So uh, that listening is, uh, is an unknown piece of how do you communicate clearly is making sure you understand what the other person is, is getting across. The first thing I usually advise uh, or, or just at least try to share some insight or wisdom is it's okay not to have your answer perfectly rehearsed. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think being robotic is what people are after. 
Uh, and just throwing out the word authentic and genuine seems to be kind of trite in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But I do mention, and I make it very clear, just be yourself. And what being yourself is, is it's okay not to have a perfectly scripted answer. When people aren't looking for actors or actresses, they're looking for people that are okay. Uh, and they're okay with being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So, for example, it's okay if someone says, you know, well, tell me about yourself. It doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be scripted. It can be, you know what, something along the lines of I am just on the very front end uh, of my career journey. And, you know, if you can recall Mr. or Mrs. Interviewee or interviewer, you may have been in this position one time, too, of just what it's like to start out. There's some certain things I don't know, but here's what I do know is I'm ready and I'm able to, to really learn and, and do things on the fly and just kind of come about it in a vulnerable yet honest, sincere way. Mm -hmm. That's how I usually typically guide people on the front end is don't have it over rehearsed. Yeah. Don't have it scripted. Uh, try to be as genuine and authentic as possible. Yeah. I've even answered that question almost to a fault, maybe, of being authentic and honest. And if I've been interviewed for a podcast and it's one of the first things an interviewer will ask me, so tell us about yourself. I am honest and I say, you know, that is the hardest question. <laughs> and and part of that's because I'm an introvert and I like to process and think quietly and I'm not always keen on talking about myself. Um, so I'm going to do the best I can, right. you know. And so I share that not because I think disclaimers, you know, because that can come across as a little bit like, oh, I'm... I'm setting expectations low, but at the same time, I feel like it's offering a piece of information and providing some context and some vulnerability. And it's probably not something that they're going to hear from everybody else. Absolutely. <laughs> I agree. Not everyone has the skill yeah. or has the practice, if you will, of standing up and doing public speaking, using that as the example. That's not, yeah. that's not yeah. everyone's cup of tea. But being able to have a, a conversation of basic nature should be someone's cup of tea. Yes, it's something we need to practice and allow ourselves to be real with. Exactly. Unscripted. Well, we've touched on this just briefly, but I want to shift gears and talk about specifically the work that you're doing with young adults. And we're seeing the first generation of young adults come of age who have never known a world that didn't have the internet or email or texting or social media. How do you think that that is changing how we define communication and, by extension, our expectations of what it means to be a good communicator? Yeah, that is the huge payoff question. And as I mentioned, the very front end of this interview, uh, I've got two personal case studies of my two boys, just mm -hmm. turned 11 and 14. Of They're right in that realm of just what you said. They, yeah. they know no other world other than being connected or wired in that sense. So um, it's, uh, it's an interesting slope. Um, it's, it's certainly not doom and gloom. Um, so mm -hmm. I just want to make sure I start with that, that, that the work I do and the live in-person workshops that I do, it, it's not designed to absolutely, you know, demonize the use of technology. That's not what we're doing at all here mm -hmm. at Talk Shop. What we are doing is sharing them the importance, the value of when and why it's important to be able to have a face-to-face -face conversation. Uh, it's just so easy. And adults, by the way, are the exact same. It's just that I'm targeting and working with kids because I want to get the high school kids turned slightly now. Uh, so they, be, you know, when they enter in the workforce, they'll be prepared for this. It's that, uh, you know, we're so quick to not listen. We're so quick to just shoot a quick text and not, and not even reread it, take a moment to pause, to read what it says, not only for typos, but yeah. for tone, for intent. And, and all of us yes. know that you can't infer tone and intent over an email or a text, but yet that is the preferred way people just want to quickly dismiss or address something and move on. 
And I just think, uh, I don't know where to pinpoint or how to pinpoint that, Beth, but it's, there's something where society has changed in a little bit. We all feel like we're in a rush. We all feel like what's the difference between urgent and important. And there's a, that line is completely blurred. Mm-hmm. And so th- that's what we're doing at Talk Shop is work with these kids to develop this skill. Uh, it's a life skill of how to have that face-to-face conversation. I'm not sure if I totally missed your question, but that's a, uh, so I want to go back to it to make sure I hit it. I can give you examples of, of how I'm doing small things at home mm-hmm. with my kids, yeah. but I'm not sure if that's the direction you were looking at. Well, let's, let's hear it. Cause I think that your examples are probably going to be good information for anyone listening that is experiencing a similar tension between perhaps even their communication style, like what you and I grew up with. We grew up without all of these things right. versus the reality that they know no other world. So yeah, what have you been personally experiencing with this? I say this, uh, and I kind of have a smile on my face, which your listeners can't see, but it's, uh, <laughs> it is interesting what we do uh, take away from, from our parents, meaning what my parents have instilled in me. And I'm not saying everything my parents did was right, but there was a good majority that was, and I'm actually kind of doing some of those similar patterns. For example, when I take my kids out and they were you know, shy or reserved, or maybe that introverted child that just doesn't want to go and look the waiter or waitress in the eye and say, may I please have your, your pasta primavera tonight? Or may I please mm-hmm. ordering something simple at a restaurant, wherever that might be, looking up and getting eye contact and saying, may I please? It's not the English. It's not the verbiage. It's the ability to look someone in the eye and just say a quick sentence or two. Mm-hmm. So I've got an that habit of doing those things with my boys. Now they know it's systematic. They just know they look up, they look someone in the eye and place an order. Whether we're at the doctor's office, uh, I bring them to the counter to bring them into that conversation so they see how I'm doing it. So that's just one small example. Now, that's not revolutionary by any means, but it gets them off their device. Mm-hmm. Um, little other things like I have them get on the phone with me. We can put it on speakerphone uh, if we need to call a doctor or if we need to call the school to let them know that you're going to be absent for a holiday. I want them to be the one to leave that voicemail or to have that conversation. I'm there with them to guide mm-hmm. them. But again, getting them in the habit of doing those things for themselves. So it's just not done for them. That's kind of a whole different category of sense of entitlement in this generation. But so those are just two small examples of, of ways that I kind of bring them into, look, this is your conversation. Uh, Dad's here to help you, but this is your conversation. Please have it. Mm-hmm. So that, anyway, those are just two quick examples that I use. Yeah, those are great. And for some reason, I think of, because my husband and I are both introverts, we used to argue over who was going to order the pizza and you know who was going to call the shop, right? And it's like, well, I'll order the pizza if you scoop the litter box. And so it was always this trade-off. But my point is that sometimes you know, we could get sort of hung up or have a little bit of anxiety of having that real-time conversation with a stranger, even if it's clear and all of that it's still something about it would we would have to muster up some energy to do it. I imagine responding to say your 14 year old who says, well, why would I, let's say ordering pizza, why do I need to call when I can just order it online right? or use an app? So how would you respond to that particular thing? Like assuming that you felt strongly that he needed to call? Yeah, that's a good one because guess what? That comes up all the time here in my house, uh, and I and, and I don't and uh-huh. I don't go with hey because it's the right thing to do because then that feels like I'm being they're being punished, and I don't say hey this is this is what Daddy sure. wants just do it because then they get resentful. I share with him quickly. I said look online if you submit it online, 
it's very easy to make a mistake. Daddy does it too. So I put myself in that vulnerable position. I said, here's a way to alleviate that from happening Mm -hmm. is, you know what, if you pick up the phone and you talk with someone live, that way, if they have any questions, they will confirm with you live in a conversation right then and there, then there's no issue. Mm -hmm. So now that's on a small example. Now you take that to a broad, broad level. And it's a big piece of, of kind of what I get into in my workshop is uh, one little specific pillar is, you know, how to address a confrontation when it comes up mm-hmm. uh, or how to have a hard or a challenging or what might be deemed as a difficult conversation and how you need to have that in a face-to-face manner because you need to hear the other person. You need to have that give and take. If you're submitting a pizza order online, getting back to your example, yeah, it's easy. I want sausage, pepperoni. Well, what if you just left something out just by accident, mm-hmm. human nature, Guess what? That's the way your pizza's coming. If you talk with someone, you'll have the chance for someone else's feedback, someone else's input, and then you can reply, and you guys are all on the same page. Yep. So that's how I kind of work around that, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You're making me think of a client that I have who her biggest breakthrough, I would say, in the past few months has been addressing issues as they come up. Mm-hmm. And and it seems like that is a and, and that has transformed her productivity, the way she feels about her relationships with her colleagues. And you can't do that if you don't have the skills to have that face to face in the moment conversation. Um, if you're always defaulting to I can send an email, I can send a text, I can do something through an app or whatever, you lose that skill of being able to kind of think on your feet in that moment. And what she's learned is that the story that she carries around about how difficult it's going to be and and how challenging and the person's going to have backlash, it never in reality is as bad as what she imagines in the time that it takes her to think about it as opposed to acting in the moment. Right. It's a valuable skill for sure. Yeah, no, it's there's fine lines everywhere, no matter where you go. You know, you know, and my goal specifically it's to you know, maybe get the students to start thinking about some of their habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not necessarily asking them to make wholehearted changes right away right. because they should question authority, whether it's me or the teacher or whatnot. And that's fine. That's that's absolutely fine. Question things, push back on things. But I'm just getting them to the point of uh, understanding that, you know, hey, it's okay to change your daily habits. You don't need to change who you are. Mm-hmm. But we're just changing some habits. And that first time, absolutely. I completely get that it could be a little scary to place your pizza order over the phone versus the easy opt out of doing it online. It's just once you do that first time, then it becomes more and more uh, natural. Yeah, definitely. Well, I want to continue our conversation by pulling in a question from a comment that you received on one of your blog posts, which was titled, How Was Your Day? And the reader mentions that he asks his two teenagers that question when they get home from school each day. And usually his daughter will offer a few sentences in response, but his son usually says, fine, and then heads off to, and that's my inflection, he might say, fine. (laughs) Um, But then he heads off to his room to hang out with his phone or his laptop. And he asks you for any suggestions about drawing him out. And I include this because I imagine there are parents of teenagers that are listening to this who can definitely identify with the reader's question. How would you advise a parent who's sincerely trying to make a connection, but they're just getting the fine and not making any more progress. Yeah, I don't want to joke over the phone call because people can't see my eyes and they won't see my face. So um, it's it's real, obviously. Um, yeah. You know, I mentioned I've got my two own case studies, my two boys. It happens. It's real. You get in the car. So uh, what I've done in the past, and um, 
and what I continue to do. And I mentioned this earlier, but it's worth repeating. It's something that worked well with my dad and myself when I was a child, when I was around these age, you know, between, mm-hmm. you know, that, let's just say that 11 to 16 realm of, and it happens now today. Hey boys, how was your day? Or if I have one of them, it's that one word answer. You know, I could try to do a little other follow-up open-ended question. Hey, that's okay. Good. Hey, would you mind telling me more? Give me, just give me one example. I'll start with asking them just for one example of something that you enjoyed during your day. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if that becomes just absolute mm-hmm. torture to have them answer a question simply, hey, tell me more, then uh, then I personally, I let that, I let it lay. I just let it lay down. Then what I do yeah. is, uh, and I've given this suggestions to others, and others have said it's worked out well, but it depends. It's not going to work for everyone, is in this day and age, it's just a matter of getting the kids in their comfort zone. So for me, uh, one of my two boys is really into sports. So if he and I are going down to shoot baskets together, or he and I are playing baseball cash together, uh, that's my time. He's in his safety zone. He's in his little own world. And that's when we can have our conversations. And it's amazing what happens when he's just yeah. in his little spot that I know is his comfort zone. He'll talk. Yeah. My younger son, I've got a spot for him as well. As crazy as it sounds, uh, it can be literally right before he's in bed. He just feels like he wants to chat and get whatever's on his brain mm-hmm. off of his brain for the day. And that's when we connect. It could be in the shower when he's I'm not in the shower, but I'm in the bathroom with him, and he's just chatting away as he's doing his thing in the shower. Whatever that comfort zone is for the kids, get them there, and then ease into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the day, you know, a lot of kids, their day is going so, so fast. They feel overwhelmed. Things are coming at them pretty quick. Uh, they just want that decompressed time. Whether they need it or not, I'm not judging, mm-hmm. but I know that that's what they ask for. Mm-hmm. So I come with that as also as a youth sports coach. And this, this, I know this is distinctly different, but it also right to your question of lots of different people will sell you experts, whoever these expert sports psychologists are, will say to those parents, don't ask your son or your daughter about their game or about their gymnastics routine on the drive home. Mm-hmm. Let it be. Mm-hmm. If it comes up later, absolutely talk about it. Yeah. But don't be the one to, to hound it right away. Yeah. So it kind of echoes my point in a way. Find the right time, whatever it is for your son or daughter, and then have the conversation. And you'll know, as a parent, you'll know where your child's safety zone is. Then that's when they have the conversation when you know it's going to be a little more free-flowing. So anyway, those are just my two things that I can think of that addresses the question that you asked of how to get these kids out and talk with a little bit more. Yeah, that's awesome. And I would say it it works for adults, too, because I think of... Well, number one, what I hear you saying is like, meet them where they're at, um, mm-hmm. you know, Absolutely. recognize that they're in a different headspace than you are. And I even have to remember this with my husband, you know, he comes home, I work from home, you know, he's in an office, he comes home, I know he had a, a meeting that day, which I would equate to like, you had a big game, maybe, or you had a big test. And I'm anxious to learn how did it go? And he just wants to like process, decompress, be quiet. And and fortunately, we've got the relationship where he can say, I'd love to tell you about it. Um, Right now, I just want to relax. Let's come back to it later. So that's how that has evolved. But it's always a reminder. Oh, yeah, even if I'm, you know, wanting to ask the question, I'm anxious to hear, I want to show I care. Part of showing I'm caring is to meet him where he's at and wait until he's ready in his headspace to share it with me. And it seems like it's the same kind of dynamic playing out between two adults as what might play out between an adult and a child. Uh, 
uh, yes, absolutely in concert with that. And I think there's you know, multiple drop downs, right? With every with every discussion, it's right, uh, right. a lot of that is, is patience. A lot of that is we all want immediate yeah. gratification. Well, I want to have this conversation right now. Right, I need to know. Did you hear my tone? <laughs> Did you hear my tone there? How it yes. changed? That immediately puts a child in the defensive because it's, yeah. my tone is different. So I, I get what you're saying. I was using that as a you know just everyone's got to take a pause. Yep. And so, yeah, meet, meet him halfway. That's all. Uh, yeah. So anyway, just a little piece to hammer that home. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what role do adults play in encouraging kids to make face-to-face connections with one another? So kid to kid. Ooh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, my gut reaction to that is kids are observant. We all know that. They observe things even when we don't, as parents, mm-hmm. think that they are observing it's what we model. Yeah. That just goes without saying, right? That's yeah. parenting 101. And I'm by no means some parenting expert. That's not my area. <laughs> so it's what we model, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really give them the eye contact, not eye contact that's uncomfortable and staring at them, but giving them the eye contact where they know you're engaged. When they want to talk and when they're ready, mm-hmm. it's my responsibility as a parent and as a trainer mm-hmm. in this realm is to show them that I'm engaged, that I'm listening to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, listening doesn't just mean nodding and saying, mm-hmm, I get you. Thank you. It's asking questions. It's clarifying. It's asking questions to tell me more. So it's all about what we model, I think, is the role that we play. If something comes up where there was a miscommunication, you know, they texted something that they shouldn't have and didn't take a pause and read it, take that eight second role. But using that as the example of, hey, look, and how can we alleviate this? Here's here's my suggestion. Instead of texting your, your message about something, tell them, look that's a conversation. That's a conversation you should have at lunch with him tomorrow, because you know what? You'll be able to hear his point of view. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to something I mentioned earlier, have the conversation live face to face. So you can hear the other person. You can see the other person's body language. You'll hear the, you'll see if they're in agreement, you'll see if they're not. And you'll know by picking up those cues, or if that person is verbal or gives you some feedback verbally, but you get to a resolution quicker much more clear, and you're all on the same page, Yes, you can move forward. Yeah. And so modeling, and, and you've brought that up previously as being extremely important. And it seems like in order to do that, and we don't necessarily have time to get into this, but adults have to do their own work. If they have any issues with these face-to-face connections, if they have any challenges, if it's a comfort zone stretch, in order to model it, you yourself have to be able to demonstrate it. And I want to acknowledge that in order to do this, there's a certain amount of your own work that has to be done. If there's any concern on your part about like, well, I'm not comfortable with it either. So I think I'll just text them instead of calling. Yeah, those, those, you're right. Those, those personal characteristics and those traits that are just, you know, we're, we're hardwired with those, whatever they might be. I get it. And a big piece of talk shop, I don't want to feel like I'm sitting here pitching something to you, but it's you know, it's pretty clear that this program is designed for high school students, mm-hmm. um, whether they're in traditional high school, you know, alternative high school, whatever it might be, it's geared for them. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's very interesting to your question Yes. is that the teachers also need to go through this. And a lot of them are starting to see that value of going through it in their what they deem in the, in the academic world, their professional development before school starts for the year. Yeah. So they can mm-hmm. model it for their students. So that way, right. if I'm going into XYZ school, not only the students are going to be part of this program and go through it, but the teachers and support staff will also have gone through a talk shop program themselves. And by the way, it's identical. The content does not change. Mm-hmm. It's applicable for them as well. Now, that didn't address your question, Beth, about parents, mm-hmm. but I can't force parents how to have conversations at home. 
And you know what? I also said, what's wrong with the with the kid learning it? Oh, and, yeah. and hopefully maybe yeah. maybe we can reverse engineer it. Maybe they can model it for their parents. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> they model it for their parents. Exactly. Stranger <laughs> things have happened. Exactly. Well, and those teachers often are also parents. And so it does have that effect. And exactly. Um, exactly. And sometimes kids are spending more time at school than they are interacting with their parents at home. So it's a fantastic place to start. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a tough one. Because look, yeah, we're all good. living in this, you know, never ending world of, of devices, you know, the screen and the texting and the apps and the social media. And, and in my humble opinion, it really is. It's a lost art to be able to talk with someone face to face, whether that's parents yeah. to parents, whether it's parents to kids. But if the parents can see, you know, what happens if they can't communicate face to face and if they can't see how easy it is to alleviate all of these miscommunications, which happen all the time, but yet can be so easily alleviated. Yeah. There's just so much to gain here. And, uh, you know, I can't sit there and, and preach to mm-hmm. parents. Uh, my goal is to work with the kids. Hopefully the parents yeah, are on board. Absolutely. Well, in the work that you've done with um, with kids, what makes you feel most optimistic? Um, what does make me feel optimistic mm-hmm. is that there are certain kids that get it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can get to one student that gets it and grasps it, yeah. then they can become an advocate for others. And that's pretty powerful. So I'm optimistic because there are certain yeah. kids that do get it. Mm-hmm. And whether those are the kids that are already in DECA, for example, or already in debate club or whatever it might be, this workshop is not for them. So it's, I'm optimistic that there's other kids, just maybe in a group of 50. If I can get to one or two of those kids, mm-hmm. that gives me reason to smile that I can get to someone. And then maybe that person might share a little bit of some, something that they learned to someone else. And we all know what can happen with that momentum or that snowball effect. Exactly, exactly. There's that ripple. And I and I think of them as um, increasing influence with their peers. Absolutely. Because sometimes, you know, people will listen to their peers where they won't listen to an adult. And the more of those kids that are feeling em- empowered right. with information and uh, and that get it and are willing to talk about it, the more effect it's going to have, whether it's now or, you know, five years down the road, somebody's going to be like, oh, I get it now. That's what that was about. Absolutely. <laughs> and so there's a long-term aspect oh, to this. Oh, for sure. I mean, look, you you and me and others, uh, whatever line of work you're in, you've probably been at conferences. You've probably heard people that have been a keynote speaker at a corporate function, and you're sitting there as an adult in the room, and that person may have your attention for the first two minutes, and then you're, you're immediately daydreaming. You're off somewhere else, and you leave that session going, what did I just take away from that? Mm-hmm. And I've been there myself, too. Yep. This is, you know, the workshop is designed so differently. Yes, it's a tough audience. Kids are a tough audience. You've got attention span issues. You've got issues of, hey, I'm bulletproof. Mm -hmm. I'm a high school kid. Nothing's going to happen to me. You've got all these different dynamics involved uh, with with this age group. Um, and, And who am I to sit there and stand up in front of them to think that they're going to listen to me? But it goes back to what you just said. If there's one person that does, yeah, and they see the power of it, and it starts to get modeled, I'm a happy guy. Absolutely. Well, how can people learn more about you, Matt, and what you have to offer through TalkShop? You know what? I think the website is probably the easiest go-to. Number one, that would give people just the the basic overview of what TalkShop is Mm -hmm. um, and how it can be implemented, but more importantly, they have a way to reach me. Um, So all my information is there in terms of how to reach me specifically on the Mm TalkShop.company, which is the URL, TalkShop.company. Um, there's a way for anyone who wants to learn anything about me or anything about the program. It's all there. They just simply fill out a quick form and I've got a way to get back to them as well. 
Excellent. And I'll make sure that the link to that is on the webpage for this episode. So uh, we'll try to make it even easier. Perfect. Uh, so thank you so much, Matt. It's been a wonderful conversation, very enlightening, and I think it's going to be very useful to anyone who's uh, listening. Again, whether they're talking about relationships with kids, kids with each other, or adult to adult even, because uh, so many of these things transcend ages and apply to, to all of us. So thank you for your generous sharing. Absolutely, Beth. It was great to be here. I appreciate it. Before I offer some closing thoughts and your call to action, I invite you to visit the episode webpage at HowCanISayThis.com. From there, you'll find resources related to each episode, as well as access past episodes, subscribe, or offer feedback. We really appreciate your ratings and reviews on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. You'll find information about how to do that on the website. An occasional feature of this podcast is responding to listener questions about conflict, communication, connection, and relationship building. I welcome your questions for inclusion in a future episode. You'll find the online submission form and other instructions at HowCanISayThis.com. Since this conversation with Matt, I've had a few coaching client calls, and one of them in particular brought to mind the portion of our conversation about meeting the other person where they're at. My client is a generally upbeat, optimistic person, and he's the leader of a team of about eight people. He tries to generate a positive atmosphere in his staff meetings, but he sometimes has trouble building an easy rapport with his teammates. I asked him to imagine for a moment that he had their mindset instead of his own. What would that sound like? What he shared was dramatically different, and I'm guessing not very exaggerated. His tone went from optimistic to tired, can-do, to slightly frustrated and impatient. Even just vividly imagining the gap between his mindset and theirs helped him to see what might be contributing to the communication challenge. I compared it to that scene in Titanic, when Jack is on the bow of the ship, happily proclaiming that he was king of the world, while unseen, the engineers were in the bowels of the ship, hot and tired. He could see the horizon, the big picture. The engineers below couldn't see beyond their dark, everyday grind. If there was going to be any progress in building trust and rapport with his team, he'd have to acknowledge where they're at and meet them there. It doesn't mean that he has to sacrifice his good nature. It just means recognizing that his positivity isn't going to cancel out their negativity by sheer force of will. There's an in-between place where they have to meet that can be accessed through open-ended questions, such as, what's on your mind today? Or, how are things going? They might have to be drawn out like the teenagers we talked about in this episode, but it's a good start towards having a more meaningful connection. Your call to action is to notice when there's a gap between your energy and someone else's. How is it affecting your ability to connect? What's your default response in these situations? Do you tend to swing to the opposite mood in an attempt to compensate? Or do you mirror their energy almost to the point of imitation? While it might feel like you're doing the other person a favor, when you do either of those things, it's likely that your response won't come across as authentic, even if your intentions are good. Instead, try meeting them in the middle through curiosity. Don't make assumptions about their state of mind. What's on your mind 
is a great bridge question to open up the conversation. I'm borrowing that strategy from the book, The Coaching Habit, which is an excellent resource for adapting a coach approach to communication. I'll include a link to the book on the episode webpage at howcanisaythis.com. This is Beth Bilo, and you have been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you so much for joining Matt and me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Courageously.